listening to episode 183 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season three of TNT's The Librarians, and we're getting near the end. Yeah. One more, right? Yeah, we're going to cover episodes eight and nine tonight, and then next week is the season three finale, and we got a lot to talk about, that's for sure. Uh, I'm not sure we have any answers to that one unanswerable or not unanswerable question they can certainly answer it, whether they're going to answer it yeah so but uh as we said we're here to discuss uh season three episode eight titled the librarians and the eternal question and episode nine titled the librarians and the fatal separation but as always if you want to shoot us an email we'd love to hear from you we got a couple shorter ones to read uh, one longer one one shorter one to read tonight emails at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or you can go to the website leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab record your own audio clip and send it as an attachment or just tweet us at sci-fi tv rewatch and we'd encourage you to consider joining the facebook group and join the discussions there so uh yeah a lot to talk about tonight now i forwarded you uh talto's yes. email i don't know if you had a chance I did to look at it Okay. But uh, before that, and and obviously we've missed a week because again, life just got in the way for me. So we had to double up this week, but uh, Davia Archibald sent us a a short email and she says, I love this episode. And and now I'm thinking like, okay, wait a minute, Ezekiel in love. That was the curse of Cindy, right? Okay. So, so that's what she's referring to here. She says, I love this episode. Quick note, good balance of all the stories of the season. Apep, Dosa, New Magic Artifacts, and the full team working together. In all caps, Ezekiel is in love. And and as we said at the time, I think we'd both like to see that pursued, but I'm not sure there's much hope of that, really. She says, that was such a well-executed story. Loved Stone pointing that out about Ezekiel being in love. And then great episode to start off the new year, because that was, of course, the one that aired on January 1st. Yep. Now, Taltos is uh, a little bit longer, and she says, going back to the trial of the Triangle episode, Flynn called the Bermuda Triangle some sort of Lewis Carroll-inspired, extra-dimensional, magical safe designed to keep the Eye of Ra from falling into the wrong hands. According to Stone, Teddy's ship, Tibber, was the first of the 108 ships to disappear into the Triangle, which seems to indicate Teddy created the Triangle and didn't just make use of a previously existing phenomenon. Yeah, that just want to just reminds me that you know when you you see the like the reflection of the ship that says Rabbit, like Tibber would not appear as Rabbit in a reflection. Oh, right, the R'd still be facing the wrong way. The B's would still be facing the wrong way. Ah, good so, point. Just just so, saying. Okay. So if I understand correctly, Teddy engineered the triangle to suck in ships with names to fit the rhyme scheme pattern of Lewis Carroll's The Walrus and the Carpenter. It was also stated that the triangle was actually a wormhole that people would not be able to survive traversing without having taken special precautions like the magic Tic Tacs. So Teddy sacrificed his own ship's crew of 88 people and the crews and passengers of 107 more ships just to lay out a rhyme scheme clue for a worthy librarian to figure out? Flynn stated in this episode to knowingly take a life, any life, is an anem- an- anathema. Come on, buddy, you can do it. <laughs> anathema to being a librarian. So 
How can Teddy, who was also a librarian, have been able to justify the hundreds, if not thousands, of lives he took via the Bermuda Triangle? Was there really no other way to keep the eye of Ra out of the wrong hands? Or am I somehow misunderstanding the situation? You know, I never really did the math, but... Yeah. Well, yeah, when I... I mean, I think she's absolutely right. You know, I think... um that, to me, I mean, that appeared to me exactly what was going on, that the whole Bermuda Triangle was this thing designed by Teddy to protect the Eye of Ra, but also to, you know, obviously to let know let, let, you know, whoever could figure it out know that, um, you know, where it was and how to get there. Right, and we certainly talked about the possibility that there have been some bad librarians in the past. And, and, you know, I think at, at first, I think we assumed Teddy was one of the good guys, but now as Taltos points out, we probably have to revisit that assessment. Yeah. And you know, like the show, they don't even address the moral ambiguity in what Teddy has done. Unless, like I said, unless I've missed something, you know, right. Like, which and, is entirely or, possible. Well, or he just had good intentions, but just was not very good at math. Well, well, yeah, or just, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, was kind of a little Machiavellian about it and just saying, like, what needs to be done. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, surely there has to be a better way of getting your message out there and protecting the eye of Ra without having so many innocent people be killed, right? So, all right. She says, as to the current episode, it was interesting that they chose to have Cassandra's tumor actually impeding her abilities rather than causing them. Will her new powers lessen her desire to rely on magic? The instant recovery from brain surgery seemed a bit ridiculous, though. Mm, you think? If there, if, there, <laughs> if there were more episodes left in the season, it might have been nice to have her abilities return and increase gradually rather than all at once at the end of the episode. And then she goes on to say, Wayne, if the pollen of the stargazer lilies <laughs> is your only problem, just remove the stamen as soon as the flowers open. Yes. They should pop off with a gentle tug. No one in my family is allergic, but we always remove the stamens as the pollen will stain anything it comes into contact that with. That is the truth, man. That stuff is crazy, stains everything. Yeah, that, 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 good. That's, that's, I, you know, I'm not much of a, a flower person, so I, I would never even thought of that. So now I, next time I buy Jody uh, Stargazer Lilies, I'll be ready, ready for those stamens. Yeah. So, uh, well, we want to thank uh, Davia and Taltos for sending in those comments this week. And, and, you know, guys, as always, love to hear your thoughts on this. We don't have a lot of time left to go, and we still haven't heard anything about season four yet. And I, I did go back, and it appears as if at least one of the seasons they got the renewal during the current season. The others were after the season ended. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, Hope it returns. I guess we'll see. There's a lot of fair out there. That's for darn sure. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, TNT seems to be pretty pretty loyal to their series, I guess. I don't know. I might, I, I, I guess I really don't know. I might be talking to my butt saying that. But um, I know they're, you know, they're very good with the librarians and, do you have you even looked at the numbers? What are the numbers been? Like? I haven't. I haven't in a while, but they were okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think I think the librarians is one of TNT's uh, more higher 
watched shows of their original scripted dramas. So, uh, you know, I'll take a look for next week. But yeah, I mean, you wonder, I mean, they've got access to the three movies. I assume TNT must own them as well. And, you know, again, it's a franchise. We've got books coming out. So who knows? And again, as we've said many times, I was explaining this to my wife the other night when when I was uh, watching, I forget which of these two episodes we're going to talk about tonight, but it's a show you can watch with your family, with your kids. And, and as I pointed out to you, to her that, you know, once in a while, there's an episode that you think is maybe a little too scary for your younger ones, right? but by and large, it's, it's family appropriate. Yeah. All my kids. And it doesn't insult it, your so. intelligence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, well, listen, we got a lot to talk about, so let's, let's just get to it. Uh, season three, episode eight, the librarians in the eternal question written by Kate Rorick and Nicole Renadive, who was the script coordinator for Sleepy Hollow, mm. was a staff writer on 24, oh. uh, directed by Noah Wiley, and this one aired January 8th, 2017. Now, yeah, I heard you groan with Sleepy Hollow, and that was a show that for me, if you remember way back when, we, we did a- sure. uh, uh, a pilot preview of it and believe it or not i think that was one of our most downloaded episodes ever yeah it would start and off with a pretty big splash it did but boy did it run out of steam in a hurry at least for me i can't remember it, it, and it might have been just you bad mouthing it that turned me against it <laughs> no uh, no well, I, i'm just uh, kidding i don't think so okay uh but i can't really remember exactly that was you know like there was this point where i was just watching anything and everything that that crossed my fancy. And then it got to a point where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like, there's like three or four TV shows every night that I'm watching. It's like, I have, I can't, I can't do this. And I think, uh, sleepy hollow was one of the first, uh, cuts that, uh, that, that I had when I first finally decided to say, you know, I can't do all this. I'm going to have to get rid of some of these ones. I'm not really that into, and I decided I really wasn't that into sleepy hollow, but I can't really remember, why like i don't know well well i know for me it just got a bit ridiculous and maybe this is is uh you know kind of a silly reason but the fact that he never changed his clothes <laughs> that's right you always get bent out of shape about the clothes i remember that <laughs> I, I mean come on anyway um all right so you know, i definitely it, it wasn't in, the clothes that did it for me but uh i think it was the I, th- I i believe that the the plot was just getting too outrageous and they're just pulling things in from left field and i don't know right when you have to bring in walter bishop to save yeah, uh, the first season that was pretty but, cool uh, now in the little bit of time you and i've had to talk over the last couple of days about, about these episodes it sounds as if i liked episode eight better than you did and you liked episode nine better than i did that that seems to be an accurate statement yes okay because you liked nine better than eight i love nine i did okay, not and love i love okay and i love eight really so uh yeah so all right so so you first know what off, i don't know if we can do this podcast anymore Dave. Like, I just, <laughs> you're just gonna have to just I gonna just have to soldier see how that could happen all right we'll talk about it. we'll work it out all right all right so so first off i would call this a magic light episode i mean we got no apep eight no dosa no magic in eight yeah yeah There's well i mean you got vampires, vampires. <laughs> like well that's not magic well, supernatural for sure but it's not magic well is it not i don't know if it's i don't know it, but they're well, like the the thing that keeps them alive there and everything well i mean is they're not, not magic? after any well i don't know I, I would say it's science 
And, and and that's one of the things I loved about Vampire this episode science. is that, huh. well, no, no. The, <laughs> what the, what, the what meteor, branch of science would that be then, Dave? The, the, the meteor that crashed into Earth and then, right. you know, did whatever it did to the soil okay. and all of that. But, um, I don't know if we'd call it science, Dave. It might be stretching uh, a little bit, but I gotcha. Well, maybe maybe the vampire part. Right. But, uh, in other words, not magic. Right, not magic. And they're not after any specific artifacts, right? And nobody's necessarily after them. So, all right, well, let's go on. We don't want to get hung up on that one uh, point. I-, I loved Clara Lago as Estrella. Yeah. I-, I thought she was just a wonderful was character. And-, and-, and actually, the actress that played her mother was really good, and she seemed so familiar. But when I looked in IMDb, I didn't really recognize yeah, anything. How about the girl who played Estrella? You talk. I, I, you know, she's done a lot of foreign language uh, material, okay. so I'm not, I forget what country uh, she's from, but but it didn't. Again, nothing I really recognized. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I thought she was wonderful. Yes. Now the the episode's called "The Librarians and the Eternal Question." So, what is the eternal I knew question? You were say it, that. I have no idea. So, well, I mean, you know, obviously the idea of immortality plays a, a big role in this episode is choosing immortality ever a good choice um right yeah, that you know i mean it's yeah. i mean jenkins is not the first immortal character that we've run across nope. in, in all the shows that we watch sure and it just seems as if every character reaches a point in his or her life where they wish it was over as we saw in episode nine right well, that's true. Yeah, that that's true. Although, you know, again, we can well, we'll talk about that when we get yeah. to it. Um, I mean, obviously Jenkins has immortality, but I think at this point we're not convinced he really wants it. So, does he stay for altruistic reasons? Well, he, I think it's tied in with, you know, Galahad, the knight, and his sense of duty. So, yes. And <laughs> answer your question, yes. There's Okay, seems to be altruistic reasons, but I mean, when we first met him, remember he was like, kind of like did experiments and stuff, and so that was kind of like what he's into. Um, and the library gives him the perfect vehicle to pursue his uh, other, you know, interests and everything. So there might be a little bit, not necessarily one hundred percent altruism in there. Okay, I mean, I guess the other thing I really liked about this episode is the desperation that we see in Cassandra as she reaches what she perceives to be the end of her own life. And and I guess we've always had that in the back of our minds, but now it appears as if she's considering, and she certainly has the offer from Estrella, which she seriously considers. And, and, and that's understandable. And, and I guess I like the fact that this episode really explores that not only for Cassandra, but, also for Jenkins, also for the viewers. Right. And I mean, I just kind of crossed my mind just now that, you know, like Estrella's offer, while nominally just about like immortality, with it, obviously there's that hint of a relationship. And, you know, I would be like, you know, I'm not really ready to commit to an immortal relationship with you just yet. I just met you. You're very nice, but, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to be with you forever and ever and ever. You know, just well, and, and, and now you're talking about Cassandra yeah. and Estrella yeah. as a, as a couple. Okay. No, no, but I mean as a couple. <laughs> yes. Right? 
because because that kiss generated a lot of debate and discussion right. on but even before the they kissed you saw the you know the sexual chemistry between the two you know well you did uh, uh, of course and i mean i i suppose there was always that chance that it was just two women that just liked each other you know as women and that there wasn't some uh you know sexual chemistry some spark there but i, I think it was hard to ignore but i mean that said you you think that was the reason that that no, Cassandra backed no, I was away? Being cheeky, but I'm just saying because I, it, it, I mean that's certainly reasonable. I mean Cassandra's not one to not explore all the possible ramifications of a decision. Sure, sure, but I don't think it was that. Oh, I'm not ready to be in a relationship with you forever and ever. Though obviously that would be part of it, but I think it's like you know my life is for even though it might be ending, my life is out there with the library right and, and and the other thing i liked is that it was kind of a, a different twist on vampires i mean you know as you know i've been uh reviewing van helsing for den of geek and and they've got kind of a unique twist on the vampire tale as well but but here where you know they can actually get out in the light but only within this this geographic uh, center I thought was pretty cool and then you know some of the other things that went with it but I guess what I was bringing up like we we talk about immortality and certainly like with time travel the creator of the show makes his or her own rules it's it's not right. as if this stuff is sure. science the way you were trying to pretend at the beginning of the <laughs> oh, podcast okay. that, yeah that was me saying it wasn't <laughs> so you know who knows but uh but that that other thing that Jenkins, you know, as this gets discussed, talks about the vampires and and tries to, I, I guess, get everybody else to empathize with what they're going through, that they're trapped in their existence, just like you and me. And at this point is when I think the team's gearing up, you know, with the holy water, the stakes, the crosses. <laughs> and, and Cassandra's trying to slow things down. And, and it's Jenkins that that throws that statement out there that that while very brief is to me pretty powerful because they didn't ask for it they didn't, you know? they didn't ask for what to become vampires right somewhere um, along the line they were turned i assume well i mean that's we, we don't really know that for sure you know well that's true because like you know like she's offering for cassandra to be turned and so cassandra would have been doing that willingly so, well, that's true. We don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you're probably right that we could probably assume that most of them were unwillingly turned by another vampire, but that's not necessarily the truth. No, you're right because you know, like the girl the in Twilight did, right? Well, that's true, right? And we don't really necessarily I just know Twilight, dude. I, I I know, and you know what? And here's the scary part: is I was going to bring up a point that occurred in the first twilight movie to answer your question, uh, but I better stop now before I dig this hole. Well, at least you just Deeper than it already saw is. the movies. I actually read the book. So no, you I did. did. <laughs> I did. It's like still the biggest like paradox of my entire life that I read every single one of those books and I didn't like like I just kept reading. I'm like, I don't like these books, but I kind of want to find out what's going to happen. So I'm going to keep going. And at the end of it, I was just like, I feel so dirty. I just felt so sullied. Well, 
Come on. Just one now more here step I am the movies. referencing them in an adult conversation. Kristen Stewart, dude. Come on. <laughs> but I said, I only saw the first movie. I just, I read the books. I know. All right. Uh, now, now look, we, we talked about, uh, okay. I'll, let's, let's, Those are some long ass books too, man. Yeah, I know. Uh, I used to see kids carrying them around. They looked big. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, you know, we talked about the attraction with Cassandra and Estrella, which was understandable, but what's the deal with Cassandra and Jenkins? What do we make yeah, of her attraction? That, well, yeah, that's like a, like a, a desperation type thing, I think, you know? Okay. It's having to do with his immortality. Yeah, and just I shouldn't say desperation is like uh, like no woman could ever be, you know, attracted to John Larroquette because you know, he's a good looking guy and everything. Um, but as he points out, it seems the age difference, not even considering like the immortality age difference, you know, you know, it just it, it comes from absolutely out of nowhere, though. You know, like at no point before did we really see any kind of, well, I mean, let's just say, it, you know, like sexual attraction between those two. Right. Like at all. And all of a sudden she just out of nowhere says, Hey, let's go out on a date. It's just like uh And I and I think he handled it as well as it could be handled. Sure. And, and, and he then again turns it around in in you know that well, first of all, as a knight he'd already committed his heart to another. Yeah. We found that and even who that though was too. Right. Well, we we didn't at that sure. point, but I guess we do now. Uh you guess. Yeah, you okay. Guess. And, and that was I that know. not unambiguous uh, enough for you, Dave? Uh, I know. <laughs> so right. it, it was not. <laughs> and, and despite the fact that he was, I guess it's fair to say, rejected, he already promised his heart. So it doesn't matter sure. that it was not requited. Which so, is the whole point of chivalric love anyway, right? Like right? It's not supposed to be any kind of consummation of a relationship. It's supposed to be a kind of... You know, an unrequited where the the knight goes on does things for his lady, but you know, gets very little in return. All right. Well, this one really there are three storylines going on, but I, to me, only one of them's really significant. So you know, once we get past the opening scene, which you know we're at that uh, Charleston, South Carolina golf tournament, and uh, you know the player goes from sweating profusely to bursting into flames and disintegrating. Right. So okay, but. Uh, what I'll call the C story, Flynn takes Eve away on a mission. And I think the eternal question here is, why does he take her away? Because he knows what's going on, I think, right? you know, with the case. So why does he take her away? I mean, is it purely for a getaway weekend? Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's a weekend. It just seems like a getaway like lunch, right? Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, he he. Number one points out that Charlene left a clue that he and Eve have to uh, go to Alaska, which you know I, I think at the end turns out to be BS. Because I wonder, does he not want her getting involved with what he suspects is going to be transpiring with Cassandra? I mean, does he somehow instinctively know? Does he have information that? I mean, it's almost as if he got her out of the way purposefully well, i mean what i was thinking as i'm watching this is that he feels like he's going to be called on to sacrifice himself very soon and so he just wants to have a nice day with eve before he has to, you know, before he dies 
Oh, yeah. As he says, he didn't want another moment to go by without telling her how he feels. So, you know, she doesn't trust him. And and I guess like me wants to know why he really brought her out there. And, um, you know, given the circumstances, I'm thinking he didn't want her to be around if Cassandra dies to have to go through it. And, and on the other hand, that's really cruel because I think then that would be something that, that Eve would regret her entire life, not being with Cassandra at that time. Right. So, he doesn't know that she's dying. Does he? Well, see, that's what I don't know. I mean, it just seems too coincidental to me. Mm. I mean, I, I just wonder if that's something that we're supposed to perhaps look at as subtext. Well, I could I mean, enter a comment here about the quality of the script, but you might not agree with, but I will. Well, go ahead. I didn't think it was very well written at all. Okay. I, I know. I mean, it's, again, just my opinion and everything. I, I didn't. I, you know, I'm, I'm watching I'm like, God, you know, like, first of all, this doesn't even seem like a librarian's episode. It just seemed so like every other TV show, kind of, you know? I, you know, and I think part of it, I, I think actually if you get down to the heart of it, why I, I didn't like it is because there was like zero humor in there at all. Well, I, I mean, I guess maybe on the one hand, that's why I did like it because it was with familiar characters. I mean, there were a few lines here. Yeah, and there, but, but, not, but you know, it, it was it was way heavier than your normal librarians episode. Well, that's true, and, and I guess maybe that's why I did like it. Knowing, I certainly wouldn't want a steady diet of that. There's no question. But you know, we've had this brain tumor again with us for nearly three seasons now, and and look, if we're, I mean, I know we're in a world of magic here, but. A brain tumor is a brain tumor, and they generally get worse before they get better. So I I just thought that it was something that that had to be addressed. And I, you know, I thought near the end of season ten, certainly a good time to do it. And now, did we think uh, uh, season three uh, getting near (laughs) near episode ten? Yeah, it's not supernatural for crap's sake. (laughs) Um, But but the other thing I guess I thought that if my line of reasoning has any validity at all that 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 Flynn didn't want her there you know if if Cassandra died it's just another indication of how little Flynn Carson knows people because you know how would she have reacted had she not been there but right but I, I don't I don't again, think that's the case at all I, I think I, I don't think he had any clue that you know apart from yes Cassandra has this brain tumor and it could go badly wrong any day now but I don't think there was anything that made him think it was going to happen today. I think he was just, like I said, he's looking at his own mortality. Okay. Right. Sure. And and that certainly becomes a, a an issue in episode nine that we'll get to in a little bit. Now, the B story, you know, we got a bunch of vampires living on a patch of ground that enables them to daywalk, which, you know, in and of itself, I thought was pretty cool. And, and, and I thought it was pretty cool that these vampires seem for the most part Estrella and her mother seem to have good intentions right as they say we've never turned anybody we've never killed anybody uh you know when they get our blood I'm now it, it never is made clear how it is that the guests get their vampire blood yeah it's but the whole thing like the vegan vampire crap that again that 
T word books, uh, you know, propagate. And, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I just always kind of have problems with like the, oh, he's a vampire, but he's really sweet and nice and everything. Okay. Well, you know, get, getting back to what I initially said about uh, no magic. And in, in fact, Jenkins says at the beginning when Stone and Jones are arguing about spontaneous human combustion that it's science, it's not magic. You know, the, the, the very few times that it actually occurs. So we find out that the golfer actually had stage four cancer and that the cure found us. And then, of course, she's looking for the brochure and Jones opens the curtains and she bursts into flames. So, you know, we're starting to put two and two together. So uh, they go to the spa and, and you know, we, we start to get a sense already when you look at the way Cassandra is just really looking around the place that you know what she's thinking, right? And, and that's even so before she's the- she use the pizza? Well, yeah, no, that's just oh, right. that, that, uh, that there's even before there, that immediate connection between Estrella and Cassandra, it's almost as if she senses that there's something here that could help me because obviously that's in the back of her mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and then when she mentions exploding people, Estrella seems a bit concerned, you know, in a way that she kind of implies that she has an inkling of what's going on, but but we we learned later on that she really doesn't. Right? No, she didn't. She didn't know at all. But more to the point, this is Cassandra grasping at straws, and and whether or not this represents false hope, which I, I think ordinarily we'd look at this kind of a a, a business a, as being some sort of a scam. But it doesn't necessarily really seem to be that way. Well, at, at first it does just because, as you said, I mean, we just it, it, the same thing with uh, Cindy, right? When we see this kind of like cult like thing, I guess like, they're not really a cult, but you know, when people like living out on their own in this, this kind of commune, uh, you know, we are initially are suspicious and we think, oh, it's like some kind of cult or some kind of scam. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right, and, and and no matter what it is, whether it's, as you said, with Cindy's uh, cult or, or even here, there are many situations where people are just looking for that last chance, and, and in many cases, it turns out to be false hope, but it's hope nonetheless. So, so of course, as you said, that's kind of what we, we think is going on with this place. Now, Stone and Jones are investigating those herbal remedies, and then that's where and I and I like this. I'm sure you're going to say it's bad writing, and I I wouldn't disagree with you. But what do you notice there? And they're you know they're looking in the reflection on that yeah. one thing, and then it's it's what they don't yeah. notice, of course. It's like that connection that they're trapped in their own existence, which they are. However, it is that they came to be that way, just like Cassandra's trapped in her own existence. And, and there's really no way out other than, as it turns out, surgery right. down the road. Well, so. the vampires can, they don't have to stay there, but they just can't go out during the day if they don't stay there, right? Well, that's true. Uh, right, right, exactly. They would have to be night dwellers, which is the traditional vampire story. Yes. Although it's never clear how, uh, in the that book that you mentioned, that, <laughs> shall not be named uh they went out in the day because they went to high school right they they put like uh, honestly 
I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think they actually put on like sunblock. I think that's the key. Nice contact lenses, maybe. Or it 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 wasn't like a thing. Like I think it might also like not been a thing. Like like in in that story, vampires don't just have to hunt at night. They can go anytime. Okay, but but this we really that's we've referred to it too many times so far. We have we have so so what we've got here is basically a sanctuary for vampires. But as we said, the sick improve with vampire blood, and the vampires only take a little in return. As we said, no one has died. But did you notice Jenkins points out that Flynn was once in love with a vampire? Yes. And I thought, well, who wasn't yeah. or who hasn't been? You know, really. You know, at one point, it. it happens to every everyone. I think so. <laughs> All right. Now, Estrella takes Cassandra under her wing. And, and, and again, we see this relationship developing. And, you know, again, I, I, I think after a while, I just thought it's two young women that just seem to have a lot in common. They're both brilliant. And it just seemed as if it was it was really enjoyable for Cassandra to have somebody to talk to. And, and, and the same on Estrella's end. And could actually understand what it was that that excited them so much about you know the science and, and here you know in, in in agriculture sure and and there definitely is that part too but i mean the writers have already established that chicks kind of dig cassandra already we've seen that on a right. couple of occasions sure. um so you know that that's always you know we don't discount that though there really you know as we've said before there's not a lot of hanky panky going on in the librarian's world. You know, it's mostly just solving cases and moving on and everything. Um, but this season, they've really kind of more than any other season have explored to some minor degree, at least the sexuality of some of the librarians. Right. Well, and, and certainly Flynn and Eve. Right. You know, and then Ezekiel. Right. Well, well, true, and Ezekiel, the chaste as it was. Sure, but still, um, right, you know, he right. was now, kissing a girl. That that hadn't happened before. Right. Now, I'm going to you know, support your uh, line of reasoning about the writing. Okay. You know, When they find out that uh, the couple of the guys, are, including Estrella's brother, are running a rogue operation to come up with some concoction that's going to allow yeah. the vampires to leave, soon the world will know us and they will all bow down. <laughs> I'm like, dude, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's just leave there. All right. So Cassandra, you know, she makes several uh, attempts, uh, successful attempts to get Jones and Stone out of the way so she can be alone to confront Estrella. And, and again, I think it's that she's becoming more confident in herself. And it's ironic as she feels as if she's reaching the end of her life perhaps she's becoming more and more confident sure. and really just tells them you know i got this guys go do something else right. throw it out there, and, girl. And, right right and it's nothing to do with any kind of sexual attraction or anything like that but well, they go to confront nothing to do but well maybe all right but so, not primarily certainly right so you know they find out what it is and and you know again all of that's not all that important i don't think but i think one of the best scenes in the episode that doesn't necessarily include cassandra is of course jenkins coming to the rescue using his galahad skills to take out all the vampires uh 
Yeah, I was about to say that the the one scene that I did really like was uh, the fight scene. You know, right. Because first right. of all, you got Christian Kane showing off the moves, and then you know Galahad shows up with a sword and starts taking down vampires. That was really good. Uh, yeah, Sam yeah, and exactly. Dean would approve. <laughs> yes, they would. All right. So, um, what I especially liked though is Cassandra's got the stake. And we're thinking, oh, crap, he got it away from her, you know, which I think we kind of expected. And he thinks he's safe. And she goes, no, no, I was just, you know, getting it to her. And then, <laughs> of course, Estrella drives it through his heart. Yeah. But as that happens, Cassandra collapses in Jenkins' arms and, and you know, and they take her to the hospital. The melodrama and, continues. And, right. And and I, I really think that the main story here is Cassandra coming to terms with her own mortality. Sure. And right at the start, she wants to go alone to New York. Now, she lies and says it's a doctor who's done, you know, study on spontaneous human combustion. But on the rewatch, I looked at Jenkins and you could just see that there was something that, that he didn't really believe it yeah. or he had some the guy's doubt. guy around for thousands of years, man. He can, uh, he can yeah. spot BS like in, in a heartbeat. Right. So we find out that it's actually, a, you know, a neurosurgeon and he tells her, you know, it's grown so large, you've got to get it taken care of now. And, and of course, she's in denial, as I think a lot of people would be a, a, at this point. But but again, as brilliant as she is, yeah, especially and, people and in I, Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so she's back at the library consulting Jenkins, Jones and Stone. But yeah, but she's had too much care. There, there's your humor scene, right? When yeah. she comes back and she's all hopped up on caffeine. Right. And as Jenkins says, yeah, I've tried some concoctions to counter the effects, but I've always been unsuccessful. And then, of course, this is where, you know, she asks him out on a date. And, and we kind of already talked about that. And, and I think we both agree that it's really his mort- immortality contrasts against her mortality. And, and then, of course, Jones comes in at the absolute wrong time or maybe you'd argue at the right time too right but i I think like you know john larroquette is just so great as jenkins and you know the way he can because that's a tough like you know it's like an awkward like it's so such an awkward scene overall you know um yeah because especially because it comes out of freaking nowhere and he's taking it back we're taking it back uh but john larroquette is just so masterful at being like you know like that humanity that comes out and like every character really he's ever played you know like even like a night court when he you know played uh, a guy who was kind of cynical and hedonistic but there was that that level of humanity always uh underneath the character and you really see that in jenkins who's kind of like oftentimes has a kind of hardened maybe even snooty exterior but uh but really has a ton of heart underneath yeah. Oh, that, that's yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I go back and forth on who's my favorite character. And and while I don't necessarily ever feel like Jenkins is my favorite character, there's just no denying how great an actor he yeah. is. He's awesome. And, and, and he's great. Yeah, he's just perfect here. But but to me, the the, the really the the most emotional, the most powerful scene, most important scene is really when Cassandra talks to Estrella that she would give anything and, and that that line I'm out of options and it's it, it's just really heartbreaking that that she's reached this point but I guess it's also to me a lot 
heartbreaking because she's doing it alone. And, and just like I said before about Eve, if in fact that's why Flynn takes her away, I think Jones and Stone, Stone especially, would really maybe be a little upset that that he wasn't there when she was feeling this low. Right. You know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you talk to us? You know, we're your family. Sure. So, I mean, we, we understand it. And, and this of course is when Estrella offers to turn her, which would enable her to go on living. And, and I think the catch here is with the tumor, because of course, Cassandra like us feels as if it's the tumor that's giving her her abilities. Right. Which I guess is why, I mean, I, I guess it's why she's never had, because when it comes down to it, it's like, they just pop the tumor out just like that. Everything's a-okay. It's like, why didn't you do that ages ago, right? Well, I guess you'd argue that removing a tumor at any point is, is always a risk. It's just that here, the, you know, there were no other right. options. There was no time left. So, so of course, and again, probably the second most powerful scene is, of course, the librarians waiting while she's in yeah, surgery. Which I thought was the most powerful scene. And I, I thought that was really done well. The you know the way they they're getting each other coffee and and, and just just well the waiting really, room scene, which again it's kind of a cliche, but you it know, is because everyone can tie in with that emotion of you know the uncertainty. You're out there in the waiting room. Your friend is in you know deadly peril, uh, and you are powerless to do anything about it. Well, I think they so rarely feel helpless. I mean, despite right. the the foes that they come up against. Right. There's always something that they can do, right? Right. We're the damn librarians. So, and here, certainly that's not the case. So, you know, they don't drag it out too long. You know, the time-lapse photography was pretty cool. She's alive. She's alive. But, she, but she's lost her hand-waving power. Right. And then when they go into Seer, again, without the tumor, am I even a librarian? And, and of course, they're, you know, they're trying to reassure her. But you got to believe that they have doubts yeah, about I'm that saying, as well. Oh, well, you might not be. Right, you might so, be getting a pink slip in your locker back at the library. Right. But again, I like the fact that they hit on this right away that, yeah, okay, she lost her old powers, but whatever it is she has now it, it's times 10 yeah, and she's it, it like seems to you be, know what she's like right no you know, like did you see, have you seen the, you, the matrix movies yeah okay so like in the first one when neo like kind of realizes that you know like when he becomes a fully hero and he sees everything around him is like binary code and stuff Oh, okay. So that, that's just, I right. mean, though it's not exactly like that, it just kind of reminds me of that, that now she's like the whole world, she can break it down and see all its secrets and everything. But, but she also seems to be able to project herself onto others, right? Like when she sees that nurse doing the Sudoku and she calls, you know, she like telepathically sends the numbers to her and the nurse Ah, oh, three, six, four, right. or whatever the numbers right, were. Right, 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 right. Well, that's the thing. She she has learned how to manipulate the matrix. Right. Well, you know what line she's going to have to use. Uh, why? Why didn't I eat the the red pill? These are not the librarians you're uh, looking for. Nice. All right. That'd be a good one. So uh, <laughs> now, 
again, a few things I read online, whether it was on uh, the Reddit uh, page or why are you, Facebook. Why are you going or, there, dude? Well, after I've seen them. Okay. Uh, you know, there's actually, I think the, the discussions have been pretty... I think they've been pretty reasonable. You know, nobody's going off the deep. No, end I'm not saying that. It's just like that's like that's like spoiler heaven. Oh well, I, I know, I know. But anyway, that's uh, like the rich black soil of spoiler growth. But see, people were pointing out, well, they'd have had to shave her head for that surgery, and clearly she's got a full head of hair. So yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, it, you're okay with magic. Lindy Booth probably has in her contract. You don't mess with my hair at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Christian Kane. Yeah, you can shave his head. All right. Yeah, that'll yeah. happen. But but then you know she goes back to see Estrella. You reminded me that what defines us isn't what we're born into; it's what we choose to be. You help save my life, and and. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of a little bit cheesy, but I, I just chose to not take it that way. Uh, I chose to take it that way. Okay. And I think that's the difference I between the two. exactly right. So uh, so I don't know what you're going to give it. I, I, I'm giving it an A. What? I gave it a solid C. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, you know what? I just seriously, like, and again, I, you know, I didn't have time to watch this second time, which is part of it. Um but it just seemed so like just any other TV show I've ever seen, like chock full of cliches and melodrama and all. It just did not seem like a librarian's episode to me. I think we're going to get called into the principal's think, office to explain our grades. We, we might one. have to. We might have to. There is too much of a difference. But, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't care for it. And then, like, the whole, th- you know, it just seemed like there were all these grand dramatic things happening and it was way too serious i thought which i get i'm not you know like i i get that's what they were going for and so just because i didn't like it is immaterial because i know that they're going for a more heavy serious tone it's just to me like that is just like antithetical to to the librarians that's- and i and i get that and I, and you know what i think that's the beauty of the show it is that um, yeah, we can see the same episode completely differently, and and I mean, I think in the, in the one we're about to talk about, I guess I thought there were it was just a little too silly in places. Which is probably exactly what I liked about it. I know. So, uh, all right, well, let's get into this one. Episode okay. nine of season three, written by Rob Wright and Steve Cryozier and Mark Altman. Now, Cryozier and Altman also wrote Tears of a Clown. Okay. And Rob Wright wrote Fangs of Death and and Tears of a Clown I think was not a favorite one for either of us but you yeah. know still good. It was okay. Di- directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. And aired on January 15th, 2017. I want to see Jonathan Frakes in front of the camera one time. Just come on. You know and like it'd be awesome if he, he came on as, as uh Will Riker, you know. Oh, it would be awesome. And, and you know, I, I think the same thing about Amanda Tapping now that she's directing, you know, in all these different genre shows that, that again, I mean, I get the desire to be behind the camera. I get that. I really yeah. do. But come on, you you know, the fans would just go absolutely bonkers. Yeah. I just like, you know, just like something stupid, like, oh, they stumble into like a sci-fi convention. And he's there like signing autographs or something. Just a little, just toss us a bone, Jonathan. Come on, man. Or, or, or just even somebody says something and he just goes, make it so. Yeah, right. 
you know, whatever. But uh, all right, look, I, the Shangri-La myth, who doesn't love it? You know, um, now I've never read the James Hilton novel Lost Horizon. Nor have I. Uh, and but it does uh, you know again just kind of you know go on to Wikipedia just to get a, a, a quick overview paradise mythical Himalayan utopia Tibetan mountains yeah okay pretty cool but one of the things that comes out of this episode is kind of a continuation of, of episode eight that that idea of one's heart belonging to someone else and and of course we're talking about jenkins to uh, a large extent here right but there's also Um, like again not romantically but like kind of like the relationship between a mentor and a protege exactly now emotional impact of that and the impact of the revelation i mean we've talked about what's the deal with general rockwell when are we going to see her again i mean you know that they introduce her character so we see her again and we find out that she in fact was eve's mentor and claims that eve has feel like i feel stupid but like i did not see that one coming at all well i didn't see it coming at all either is it too out of left field or is it a perfect setup for season four? I'm going with perfect setup. I think they worked that really well, you know, in that, to, yeah, because you're right. I mean, it, it definitely has the potential of being a ridiculous plot point that actually is completely ungrounded in anything. Um, the only thing I would say is, like, apparently she's been behind Eve's being there this whole time, but yet, only now have has Dosa like come into the show, you know? It's like there's two full seasons we had, like no hint of Dosa or anything. And now all of a sudden we discover, oh, she's been manipulated by Dosa from like word one. So in that way, it's a little sketchy. But otherwise, I thought it was like the way they played it, I thought it actually was pretty cool. Um, and uh, it was kind of... Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, the idea of a sleeper agent you know, it's an intriguing idea. And, you, you know, you mentioned two seasons of no mention of Dosa. And I guess you could argue that General Rockwell's just been lying low, seeing how Eve uh, works her way in. But, you know, the whole idea of sleeper agents, I thought, was that they were aware of what it was that they were doing. Sure. But, you know, maybe, maybe you know, and of course, most of it's, you know, Cold War right. sleeper agent. This is a, kinds of, this is like a, lem, a REM sleeper agent. This is like yeah, deep exactly. sleep, so, sleeper agent. So now that Eve knows and has been presumably awakened, I'm like, now what? Yeah. Well, you just let her go? Like, really? Like, she's kind of, like, you might have noticed that she's not really on board with your dosa thing there. Well, or is this going to turn out to be some kind of Manchurian candidate? I don't kind you of. know it's not. There's no way. Well, yeah, no I don't know. Way. I, no I, way. Okay. You know, she might have uh, doubts. She might have a moment of crisis, but she's always going to choose the library. You know this. Well, you know? do we? I mean- We I, do because this is Eve. This is Eve, uh, man. Like, no way. No way. Okay. And I say I mean, that next ab- episode, I'm going to be totally proved wrong, aren't I? Well, well, we've talked a number of times about how much we love evil Cassandra. And, and, sure, and that's we the, did. But that's the other thing. Is Dosa evil? 
we don't really well, know. Right. Well, you, what we see here is that DOSA is severely out of touch with what the library is all about. Right. You know, like she just sees it as from a very military standpoint, which again, I mean, I get it, right? These are dangerous weapons that they are stockpiling. Well, no, they're not, you know, like he's like, no, they're not stockpiling them. They're, they're protecting us from them. They're keeping them stored away so they don't cause any more damage. At which point, you know, Rockwell might say, well, why don't they put them beyond all use then, right? Why don't they destroy the artifacts? Why do they store them? Why do they leave them around for something to potentially get a hold of at some point? Might be the counter argument there. No, that that's a good point. I, I and and I suppose the counter argument would be that in the right hands, used judiciously, that they can benefit. Right, but then which the human is race. again Rockwell's point, which is, you know, like here we are. This is America. This is democracy. This isn't any egalitarian society. Not, um, you know, this is a, a this is not a place where the the few get to you know, dictate terms to the many. And, you know, the the library is, is just that. An elite few who are in charge of all this and determining what's good or bad for the rest of us. So from a democratic standpoint, you know, it's not really, like there's no checks or balances. There's no control over the library. It's its own entity. Right, that's true. That's a good point. So from a... a you know, a standpoint of what, you know, America stands for, you know, if we knew there was some other type of shadow organization in the American government that did something like that, your normal person would be pretty upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this one's titled The Fatal Separation, but to go back to the eternal question for a second, what does Charlene whisper to Eve at the end? It says... uh I love your perfume. I don't think there's any. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) No, I I think it's clearly something about Flynn, I think. Or maybe she tells her that she knows about, you know, Rockwell. That she's a sleeper. And that I know you're a sleeper. Whatever she says, it's pretty shocking to to Eve. Yeah. Right? So it it is, absolutely. So, So. all right. Well, I love, I I know it's kind of cliche that, you know, the whisper something we don't hear and the person reacts and. But uh, that's just that's that was really well done, you know. It was really cool. No, I agree. That. Well, I agree, and, and the fact that one guardian, the first guardian, to the current sure. guardian, arguably the finest guardian that that you know, that maybe we're prejudiced, maybe. But anyway, yeah, we're totally prejudiced. So the, Charlene was hardcore this time, man. I know. All right. So opening scene, we get these bad dudes that come to this Asian guy who deals in black market illegal items. Apparently, they want him to find the location of Shangri-La, and they present him with this ancient-looking scroll map kind of thingy, and then he laughs, and I'm thinking, all right, well, what does that mean? Yeah, that guy was just, he was a little over the top All right. as well, far as a bad guy, you know. All right. Well, talking like, about over the top. I thought I was watching episode of the A-Team or something with that guy. Okay, so we're treated That's to a, a two-minute, two-minute fight sequence, uh, long shot of Shangri-La, featuring Stone training with his master, Monkey yep. King. And apparently, didn't really he's learned the Monkey his, King until all of a sudden, like the tail came out, like whoa! <laughs> right now, he's been there two months. 
library apparently sent him there to complete his training, but Stone wants to learn more. And then, interestingly, Monkey King suggests magic. And, you know, Stone, oh, no, 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 no magic. Nope, no magic. But then he tells him, you know, from now on, and I'm thinking like, okay, this is like David Carradine speaking here. Or Yoda. uh, uh, Or Yoda, exactly. Stone, teach yourself, you must. And all right, so we cut back to the library. The Chamber of Memories, and I think this is the first time we've heard about this. Right, that, because well, they just came up with it, because uh, as Jenkins says, it just he just found it. Oh, right, right, because uh, of the, all the- Yeah, the rearranging the library's been doing. Uh, of the rooms, right. So that, you know, it's linked to the souls of people that are connected to the library, and, and the, there's a flame that burns for each one, and while they're, you know, it still burns while they're alive- Charlene's candle are you, are you, are you still burning. Eternal Flame by the Bangles right now? Are you singing that in your uh, head? I'm not, okay. no. And I'm not going to sing it either. I'm not either. I can't sing like Susanna Hoff, so I'm going to let it, I'm going to let that one slide. But right, everyone's but, singing it in your head right now. Okay. It's written by Prince. I think. Oh, no, he wrote. Yeah, I, th- I think he wrote that one. Uh, I don't know. No, he wrote, right. uh, regardless, regardless, anyway. <laughs> Flynn's candle has almost burned yeah. down implying that he doesn't have yeah. long to live. And of course, this is something we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. To play like kind of devil's advocate, that candle could have been that low from the moment he started, you know? It could have been. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that that candle is way low. Yeah, took, took me back to college days. <laughs> yeah, but like, like Charlene's candle, right? Charlene's candle was not that low. Right, no, it wasn't. so it's not no. like that room. I, you know, it's not like the candle is any kind of like fatalistic determiner of how long you actually have to live. Well, I, yeah, that's true. I, the, yeah, absolutely, that's true. Which also then begs the question: Is Charlene dead? Well, you know her con- her connection to the library. I are assume we go has through been this again, broken. Dave. We talked about Okay, this. well, we might have to. Right. All right, but I think, before yes. we get to that, okay, right. we'll, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, all gotcha. right, so, uh, all right, look, if we're going to be in Tibet, we've got to have a temple attacked by ninjas. Absolutely. Okay. And even though he's hit by a trank dart, Stone somehow manages to fight them off for a while, eventually escapes, and uh, Shangri-La and its staff are now in possession of that black market dealer that we were introduced to in the opening scene. All right. So now, I mean, I'm going to let go. I was about to, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let go. Okay. All right. Well, now now we've talked about Cassandra and her hand waving. And, and obviously I think we both agree that, that it's been used more judiciously in this season and that they've also kind of ramped up the visual aspect of it. But now we're never going to see it again, Dave. See, well, we, we're, we're criticize something different, and, and but yeah, but the, their hands are no more. Now she's well, she's got the matrix. Now she just says right. on and boom, exactly, and, and exponentially more powerful. Does different things, but the fact that she doesn't know how to control it has to be frightening for her. Right, but it seems like even by the end of the episode, she's gotten getting control of it at least. Well, well, that that's true. And then, you know, I was trying to remember the episode. You, you know, I think sometimes you have a better memory for these things than I do. 
you know, Eve talks to her and, and she says, I've seen the future you and you're amazing. Right. That was, that was, that was this episode. That she sees the future her? Where oh, 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 when she, oh, when she actually saw the future. No, her. she says it here. Right. right. When did she, she, she saw the, the future her at the end of season one. When she was flipping between different realities, and remember, she went to the one where you know Jake was the librarian, and then she went to the one where Ezekiel oh, you're right. was the librarian, and then she went to the one where Cassandra was like in the the red robe, and she was like this, you know, all powerful kind of sorceress. Oh wow, what a great callback! I forgot about that. Seriously, you didn't remember that? No, oh, I mean now, now that you just said it, yeah, I do, yeah. You know, J- J- Jones in the l- l- long lab right, coat, and, right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. Wow, now that was a great episode. So then the question: Did they have this planned all along? Yeah. Well, no. Well, well, and that. Let's see. When she said that, my first thought is: Well, that was just like this alternate universe in which she was the only uh, librarian. So. Well, it was that it was that way for each of right, them, right? Right, exactly. But um, I think what you know, the the thing is, like, here's what you you can become. Here, here's what it's possible for them to be. Even though Jacob was pretty much the same, I think, in his version. But um, yeah. for Ezekiel and for Cassandra, it was like this is not the future of this reality. Um, but it's you know, th- this is the type of person that you could be. I guess is the point that she was saying so i don't know okay all right well we find out the name of the chinese billionaire who's at the heart of this attack sterling lamb and and apparently he's got some history with flynn that apparently shangri-la was damaged at one time when flynn was going after the spear of destiny yeah oh that yeah that's from the movies yeah yeah so uh they've got to figure out how to get inside and they are going to use the classic trojan horse plan which of course works um and Cassandra and Jones pose as dealers of an artifact they claim to have stolen from a librarian. So what'd you think of her kind of like goth kind of look there? Oh, you dude, you know what <laughs> yeah. I thought of it. <laughs> I know what she thought. Awesome. Yeah, that was, that was, she, 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 uh, yeah, she looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, she's got, she should use that, uh, that makeup like all the time. Yeah. Now, now that said, <laughs> Jones was pretty cool looking as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, ah, come on. He, was. Yeah, I know he was, right. but like she was just, I was like blown away. I'm like, whoa, you I know, know, like, well, well, well. The wow. beauty of this scene, though, is that Lamb is apparently a huge fan of Ezekiel Jones, who right. he's heard is the cleverest of the librarians. See, this and is what course, I'm talking Jones, about. This is to me, that. See, that's the librarians to me. Stuff like and that. I agree. Turn, touches like that. It's like, even though there was a lot of serious stuff going on in this episode, but they kept the, the nice and light and fast paced and everything. So, yeah, no, ab- yeah, the pace was definitely much quicker. And, and, and again, this was, this was perfect because Stone can't, uh, uh, Jones can't say a word. Yeah, no, which, <laughs> when does that ever happen, right? Oh my God, and it drives him crazy. <laughs> so, while all this well, is going does, on, though, but his also, his ego is, very is being stoked like crazy. Oh, yes, he loves is. that. Yes, yeah. it is. Yep. So while all this is going on, Eve Stone and Flynn have escaped from the crate housing the artifact. <laughs> now roam free on Shangri La, and, and and of course Stone said, "Hey, I was here two months. I know where the secret door is." So you know now they're they're in that room with the staff of Shangri La, and there's something about he who 
holds the staff at sunrise, holds the power or something it's, like yeah, that. Yeah, like I don't know. controls like Shangri-La or something like that, yeah. Right. But, of course, they're taken out by the woman that's in charge of the ninjas. And, and at first I thought, oh, is this going to be Lamia again, who I happened to see tonight. My wife and I uh, watched the most recent episode of oh, I th- Lucifer. I thought you meant like and, you were at the mall or something, like you ran into uh, her. Like, no, she's I actually went socks. to the mall over the weekend. <laughs> but, uh, no. And the Monkey King is with them. And, and you know, we're wondering just briefly was he in with them all along or have they manipulated him somehow? And I think, nah, he's being yeah, manipulated. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 right. And of course that's what, that's what right. it turns so he, out. But the, the red eyes, it's a dead giveaway every time. Right. But then, you know, we hear again, the idea that the guardian may be a bigger prize than a librarian, right. which s- somewhat surprises me. Well, it's, it's not the first time we've heard it, but, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's it is ironic, right? It is. Now, you know, speaking of guardians, you know, so they enter a room where Lance collected his artifacts and they encounter Charlene alive. Now I, I look, I'm gonna say I, I I called the fact that look, she can get out of that cage anytime she wants. <laughs> and and of and of course we learned that uh Well yeah, because she, she wasn't to- like excited to see Flynn. Yeah. Right. Right. Now I, I love, though, her reasoning and, and really the fact that she, I think, is trying to remind them of the reality of the of the situation and the big picture, if you will, that APEP is not Prospero. And that I think she thinks, and I think she's right, is that they're looking at APEP through that kind of a lens. Sure. And his power is so much greater than Prospero. Right. But it's just like, you know, we mentioned with the last episode and just everything with the librarians is that we can solve this. There's just some, there's some way to solve this. We just got to figure out how to solve it. And so for them, they have this kind of unbridled optimism that no matter how, you know, difficult the, the problem, it's something that they can handle. Yeah, yeah, and in this case, how they're going to handle it, though, I mean, is is when she brings up the fact that she needs to sever her connection to the library, which will then, of course, sever her immortality and her connection to this dimension forever. Uh, I mean, is she sees that as the solution to what? I'm not sure exactly. Well, uh, because if Apep gets a hold of her, then okay. he can, like, I guess, access the library. Okay. So that's why she has to do it because th- that's why she's in hiding because she's trying to stay away from APEP because we would wonder, like, Charlene, why are, you, why are you punking out like that, you know? Okay, well, why doesn't he come after Jenkins? Because he's not a guardian or? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe he that, will be that, coming I after. think that was my question as well. I thought, well, is is Jenkins somehow, could he use Jenkins the same way he uses Charlene? But I guess Jenkins stays in the library mostly. So, yeah, I don't know. I almost can't believe I'm going to say this, but (laughs) Eve gets on that train, which then takes me back to the train on Lost Girl. Oh, dude. I thought thought was, you know, at the time, and, and even in retrospect, 
I kind of like the mystery of it, not exactly knowing it. I mean, yeah, figuring out the, you know, the, the metaphor. And, and I think we just, so, when it, it turned out what it was in the end, was kind of disappointing. But yeah, you're right. When they first introduced that concept, it was, it was pretty cool. You're right. Right. So, right. So I wondered what they were going to do here. You know, Cassandra and Jones hop on, um, you know, we find out that, that, uh, Stuart Lamb wants to take over Shangri-La now that he's got the staff. And then, you know, suddenly Eve's released by Rockwell, who is, you know, we already said, here's where we find out that she had been Eve's mentor. And, and, and of course we're wondering, well, how does she not know that, Rockwell's running Dosa, so you know, I think you she know, just felt like that someone was always watching her, which is probably the problem. Well, well, right. So I think we're going to have to find out that that there's clearly something. I mean, Eve's been drugged. You know, it's almost they're going to have to come up with a good way to explain this. You know, whether it's you know she she was psychologically uh, manipulated somehow. No, I don't think she I was mean, they. All they did was they had her do what she would normally do. Okay. But what they didn't anticipate was that she would, you know, I mean, she calls it like Stockholm syndrome, but, you know, I guess they didn't anticipate that she would actually buy in to what the, because they don't understand who the librarians are and what they they actually do. So I guess they, they thought that eve would get inserted in here and she'd be probably like horrified by what she found and she would not be on board but she's totally on board yeah and i i guess you're right because then when rockwell says are you sure they've never used magic on you that that would have to be the only explanation for why you're not as you just said you know horrified at what you're seeing here and would of course want to stop it yeah did you at that point think try to think back and see was there any time they actually did use magic on her I, I did, and I, I don't remember. I, I couldn't I mean, come up with anything either. So, but then you know when she pulls out the "you swore an oath to the United States of yeah, America." Yeah, that, that's a pretty like, tough one to get around there. It is. So I again, I think the you know the internal conflict that that Eve is now going to face. I mean, I I think we certainly hope that she understands that she's got to side with the librarians and her family at this point, but I don't know. Well, I mean, she's I, been in the military a long yeah, time. I think you nailed it right there. Like this is her family. It's like way beyond like, you know, being though. I mean, like obviously in the military, you, I, I, you know, I haven't been, but I assume that the people you serve with also become very much like family as well. Um, but you know, the librarians, they're, totally her family I mean, it was so far beyond just like a job or duty or anything like that the the bonds that she has with the these other people are like super strong like based on what they've been through and what they mean to each other and what they hope for each other and how much they have each other's backs and everything it just goes so far beyond just that these are your orders and do what i tell you to do you know well right and it's such a compelling storyline that I, again, I mean, on so many levels, it'll be a shame to to not get a season four, but certainly that's something that I can't see that they're going to be able to wrap it up. I mean, they can't wrap everything up next week. Oh, no way. No yeah. way. And actually, I just this just occurred to me, and I'm going to put this out there. The library chose Eve, you know? Right. So no matter what Rockwell says about how she set this up, 
the library chose Eve. Like it didn't, it, no matter what Rockwell did, the library didn't have to invite Eve to become a guardian, but it did. So the library knows that Eve's going to make the right choice. So that's an interesting dilemma. Wow, I didn't really think I just, about I that. I just thought of it. Just right now it came to me. That there's no way that she's going to betray the library. There's no because, way. Because Rockwell, I mean, I really believe her when she says that. Yet there's no denying the fact that the librarian, uh, there's no denying the fact that the library chose Eve, as you right. said. Well, probably from her perspective, all she had to do was get Eve in contact with the librarian and then she would be invited in because probably, well, the, they're, they're human beings and they'll see her worth. And so they'll want her on, on their team, not realizing that that's not how it's done. That it's like this supernatural process that, that it goes by, which again leads me to say that she knows nothing about the thing that she's supposed to be fighting. Right. Well, or this thing that's this this big enemy, her big enemy. She knows like absolutely nothing about it at all, which blows my mind. Which brings me back to Dusha. Right. Okay. Now the the other I think big uh, turnaround here is is that uh, yeah okay you know they they get the staff and all of that and and so now Monkey King's back to normal. Stone saved his soul. Yeah yeah yeah. When that writing, some of the writing on the staff flies off the right. staff and tattoos itself onto Stone's arm, yeah. infusing him with some kind of power, apparently it's a magic power, which clearly he doesn't want. So what's going to be the deal with that? Well, do you know he's going to have to use it sometime? But then that line, he may bring light where there is only darkness. It's like, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a traditional kind of goofy incantation type line but christian kane brightening up a room come on yeah now we're going too far no, stop <laughs> I know, just, we love stone but All but right, yeah so, but uh, you know it's it's uh i don't even know if i mean it might be next episode it might be down the road where you know he's obviously going to be put in some situation where he's gonna have to use this magic in his arm it's just gonna just kick ass when he does Right. Now, now we see Cassandra employing her new powers to help Jones, you know, break through that encrypted lock and all that. But, you know, we get back to the library and and Jenkins is preparing the ceremony that's going to break Charlene's connection and you know, he's got this ceremonial robe on and um, it looked like the thing know, that think- uh, President Obama the the Medal of Freedom that he didn't it? Oh, yes, yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's um, I mean, obviously they filmed that way in advance, but that's kind of funny how that worked out. Right. And, you know, the thing about this scene is that uh, I don't I don't know exactly how to describe it, but as serious as it is, there didn't seem to be that serious an overtone. Or, or, I, to it I, I think it was serious, but not really sad. Maybe. Well, but but then he admits to loving Charlotte. Yeah. Which again. Her heart belongs to someone else yeah. and you know, says her goodbyes and then whispers something to Eve, which right. uh, obviously we can debate because, but we really have no idea, you know, whether it's something as simple, take care of Jenkins, I'm, I'm take care your of underpants, the li- something like that. Yeah. Right. Whatever it is, you know, I know what you did last yeah, summer. Nice. Nice. Um, <laughs> 
but then she reflects on having had the privilege of watching Flynn grow up and then I'll see you again. She tells him. And then of course they all stand by as Galahad sends her into the mirror, you know, pretty heavy stuff. Uh But, but then in that very last scene, we're in the candle room and I watched this a couple of times. Eve is watching as a candle goes out, but it almost sounds as if someone blew it out. Oh, and then, of course, we don't know whose candle it, it is. I, right. And, and then it, it ends, she's got this knowing look on her face. So, I mean, heading into the season finale, uh, we got a lot of irons in the fire. Sure. And, and, and fortunately, look, hopefully they don't try to address all of them. I, I don't think they will, no, but I, don't I mean, that's one thing that they've done pretty consistently is kind of like wrap up each season and not leave like you know cliffhangers and stuff like that you know yeah well they got a lot of things to wrap up i mean it would be cool if they already know that they're going to be renewed but it hasn't been announced so they can right you know so so we'll see but uh you know i I, i'm not decided yet i'm going b plus a minus on this one Uh, probably the a minus give it a minus Okay. It's definitely an A. I I saw between an A and an A minus. Um, I just was so happy to be back to a librarian's episode as I know and love after the episode eight. That you know, like I was just worried that they were all gonna be like that. And I'm just like, Oh, is this where they're going now? But then they come back in, they just jump right back into it, back like as it was before, and so yeah. Yeah. So just because I'm so happy that it's not like episode eight, I'm going to give it a full A actually. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, anything else you want to mention about either of these? I don't think so. There's probably like loads of things, but I can't think of it right now. And we've been talking for almost an hour and 20 minutes. So yeah. Yeah. Back to the old days, man. <laughs> yeah. We had a few that almost clocked in at two hours back when we were young. Yeah. So. I know. Back all right. In the, well, in the, that, the halcyon days. Exactly. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the librarians episodes, uh, any of your thoughts on some of the questions that they've left hanging for us would be awesome. Uh, you know, maybe join the Facebook group. If you haven't yet, if you remember, uh, you know, throw out there, post what you think is going on or what's going to happen. Emails, of course, to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab on the website. We're going to be back next week to discuss the season three finale, episode 10, titled The Librarians and the Wrath of Chaos. But until then... You know, look, Dave, I've been working with Stone Ezekiel, trying to get everyone where they need to be, but you're the one I can't help.